1: Hi, folks. This is Nick Vlahos from the Journal Star. I'm uh, introducing this podcast. Uh, It's basically an interview that I did recently with Mike Miller from the Peoria Park District. Uh, He is teaching an adult education class later this summer at Bradley University about ecosystems of central Illinois and some of the uh, ecosystems in our area that are uh, in danger of vanishing or in danger of not getting the proper support that they can from other ecosystems, places like prairies and woodlands and that sort of thing. Uh, He's going to lead uh, tours to uh, three or four or five different sites in the Peoria area that uh, are kind of unique as far as their ecosystems go, but are at the same time representative of what you would find in Illinois uh, even today and certainly 100 or 150 years ago. Uh, we're going to talk about how the fragmentation of those areas is not a good thing for their long-term viability, and we're also going to talk a little bit about how ordinary people can get involved in Environmentalism—not necessarily the tree huggers, but other people, maybe retirees who have some time on their hands who want to volunteer in one way or another, or even maybe young people too. So, uh, Mike, Mike's a very good conversationalist, and we had a real nice talk. We went up to uh, the Tawny Oaks facility that the Park District runs up uh, near Edelstein, uh, which is a beautiful area. By the way, it used to be the uh, the farm of former Bradley basketball player Paul Unruh, of all things, which is something I didn't know. I found that out uh, that afternoon when I was there. But uh, we see it under a little lean-to there out in the uh, garden, and you can hear the birds chirping and probably the wind rustling and a few other things, too. So have a listen for you. It's about uh, 45 or 50 minutes, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Thanks very much. to talk to you about this not so much the program itself Uh but the actual areas that we're talking about yeah Yeah. what um what there's how there's five places now five locations or more there are more than that but you're just focusing on these
0: five yeah i mean there's actually there's there's kind of four when you when you look at ecosystems of illinois it's pretty basic there's there's four different types of habitats like wetlands Mm -hmm. um you know woodlands prairies and lakefront if i grew you're up in westchester Chicago. right next to the Wolf Road yeah. prairie so yeah. i know all so, about that so those those are i mean those are the four basic ecosystems in illinois mm-hmm. you know and an ecosystem i think broadly is defined as is is a you know the interaction between plants you know and animals and geology mm-hmm. in a certain area you know and, and so but within that i mean not every forest is the same and so, you know, forest communities in the northern part of the state are much different forest communities in the southern part of the state. And so our, our first program that we're going to do is, is to kind of look at, at you know, from, from the 30,000 foot view of Illinois, what we're talking about when we, you know, what different types of forest systems there are. You know, there's Southern Till Plain Forests, there's Oak Hickory Woodlands, there's Bottomland mesic Forests, there's mesic Upland Forests. There's all these different, you know, types of forests that can kind of be Mm -hmm. uh, uh, talked about. And, um, you know, the same with wetlands, the same with prairies, Glacial Drift Hill Prairies, um, less Hill Prairies, Goat Prairies. You know, there's all these different types of, of prairie systems. Uh, the Grand Prairie of Illinois and and so you know uh, our our first meeting is going to be kind of just dissecting all of that
1: and that's probably news for a lot of people who don't think a prairie is a prairie is a prairie prairie, and that's about it
0: and just kind of explore because Illinois being you know a 400 mile long state uh, in the center of the continent uh, from end to end and side to side there's a huge amount of diversity and and you know, uh, so it's it's really the bullseye of the country when you think of, you know, influences from the east, west, north, and south. It gets all of those because, boom, it's right in the center.
1: In some ways also, is this maybe a little bit of a bullseye within a bullseye since we're kind of in the central part of the state? Exactly, right yeah, yeah. And so,
0: um, so yeah, we tend to, to have, um, you know, influences from from several different systems in Illinois, you know, um, you know, in, in Peoria, you'll find records that um, you know f- f- that uh, white cedar was growing here, which is a northern species, <laughs> or records that. Um, you know uh, persimmon I mean there's still persimmon growing here or or even bald cypress were found along the Illinois River at one time and so you have that which is obviously a southern species so we're kind of at the confluence of, of lots of different influences on habitat and, and species so um, it, you know it's kind of unique that you know that way yeah so there we are at the center of the center <laughs>
1: which areas are, is your program going to specifically target, both well, yeah. geologically yeah. and, you know, names uh, mm-hmm. of, su- of them, that sort of thing? Yeah. Stuff that people might recognize. Yeah.
0: So, you know, uh, the next four classes we're going to focus on, um, you know, we're going to look at the forest community first. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will probably look at, you know, an open oak woodlands, uh, you know, much as you would find here. Um, but we also are going to um, go to a good representation of a, a kind of a, a Messic upland or bottomland type forest community. Um, haven't quite picked out that yet. Mm-hmm. We're still, uh, um, we're going to scout out a few areas. But uh, like Miller Anderson Woods is one that we've talked about. Okay, where is that? It's um, north of here, kind of uh, um just north between and between Henry and Putnam okay. you know so um, but looking at, at at you know the difference between a much drier open oak woods like this and a very moist soil forest you know um, you know both within pretty much stone throw of each other you know ecologically and so um, the, the the gradients in between the two the species are totally different Um, and then we're also not just not just taking a field trip to say isn't this nice but look at the ecological challenges we have given today's you know change of the landscape if we want to if we want to keep this forest healthy is there something we have to be doing and the same with bottomland forests and so look at at those concepts Uh, and then further how do people then become involved In that process, Um, so if it's a mess, you know, if it's a open oak woodlands like this, and and we know one of the key ecological influences of this forest in the past was periodic wildfires Um, that kept the open oak woodlands open. Sure. Yeah, they, they would get rid of the the old wood and yeah, allow for regeneration. Allow for regeneration. It would it would tend to um, you know uh, um, keep uh, tree densities at a way at a certain level so that there were trees present, but there weren't so many trees present that nothing can grow in the understory True. type thing. Um, so that's one of the tools we use to maintain oak woodlands is periodic fire in the form of prescribed fire and so uh, that takes people to do you know to maintain these systems today Um, so that's you know what what this program is designed look at each of these different habitats you know forest prairie um, wetland and and lake or or we're actually gonna we're not gonna focus much on lakefront because you know that's tends to be Chicago lakefront right what we're talking about there, but we're going to focus more on uh, River systems river and stream systems um, and, and then you know and then backwater wetlands, so we'll um, So Those will be kind of the areas that we visit our, hmm. along the next four days Like when we talk about prairie will we've got a prairie restoration right here uh, but we want to get them to a, a virgin prairie, you know like uh, a prairie that's never been plowed. Um, Where's the closest one? And, and a good, a good example of that. Um, oh gosh, and I'm, I'm losing the name. It's it's on uh, 24. It's an old cemetery. Um, east or west of Peoria? It's east of Peoria. Um, east of. It's between um, between Bloomington and sh- near Chenoa. Gosh. It'll come to me, but um, but it's it's just a small postage stamp of what the grand and it, and you're surrounded. I mean, you horizon to horizon is just corn and soybeans, you know, and 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 you're in in Weston Cemetery Prairie is okay. what it is. If
1: I remember my geology or yeah. class as well, uh, most of the state was, the, at least the central part yeah. of the state, mm-hmm. was yeah. covered with that right. until it was turned over for agriculture yeah. and then the plows yeah, kind of tore it all up. You. There
0: you go. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So so yeah, in eight, between 1850. Mm-hmm. And, and the neat thing about Illinois and, and uh, the Public Land Survey was taking place from about 1817 around Peoria. They were they were surveying, walking every, you know, uh, mile, making you know, surveying off all the section lines sure. in the state of Illinois, and grid. And they were noting what vegetation was along that section line, and from that we can extrapolate out, make a blueprint. When they went from prairie to woodlands, and prairie, you know we can we can show that on a on a map mm-hmm. and so when they when they encountered a wetland or when they encountered a large body of water uh it's there so you can look at where the forests and where the prairies were in the lighter color uh grasslands in this case with the aquatic habitats um, and then compared to today those same habitats with the addition of urban and agriculture
1: well it's funny to, to note that at least it looks like on this map that a lot of the places that were grassland in 1850 are agricultural today right. you can see it kind of tapers off the, the grassland tapers off once you get to about an interstate 70 roughly mm-hmm. in yep. Illinois and then it gets a lot more dense forest mm-hmm. and it's it's almost kind of like that today at the same time and you yeah. can see around Chicago obviously that's changed a mm-hmm. lot too that's a lot yeah. more dense but they used yeah. to be grassland too mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so so yeah, and, and, you know, when when Illinois was a landscape like this, if, if you look, and and I think, you know, some of the, kind of the rough figures we have, we've lost about 80% of the forest cover, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, 70% of the, the wetlands, and 99% of the prairie, um, as compared, you know, between these two pictures, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why people kind of need to be involved in these landscapes if we're going to protect and preserve the species that are assembled there because you know the the woodlands here was influenced by whatever habitat was next to it the prairie sure if you take away the prairie the woodlands no longer have that influence one of the biggest influences of that the prairies provided was um you know periodic wildfires from the prairies moving into the woodlands and so that's one reason why we do things like prescribed burns you know or um you know things to
1: replicate those those types of conditions it's counterintuitive in some ways at least to the uh, outside observer isn't it you, you look at a forest fire and you think oh my god this is a yeah. terrible thing mm-hmm. yeah. but in some cases it's actually a good thing it, it, yeah you know the uh, forest
0: uh you'll hear people say you know a thousand acres was destroyed by wildfire and yellowstone or whatever and and that's a little bit of a hyperbole because a thousand acres is never destroyed it's just
1: changed <laughs> yeah a thousand acres doesn't disappear or it doesn't go away. it's not it's, poof and yeah. turns into a hole you know
0: it, it it it's changed, and that change can have positive effects or negative effects. Um, in, in 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 some cases, like out west, and some uh, you know some of those areas where where fire was prevented for 200 years. You know, there's a long time where uh, the Forest Service role was we put out every fire within a day, and if you do that, well for a hundred plus years you get a lot of fuel built up you know yeah. and and there's eventually going to be a fire that you can't put out <laughs> and that's you know that's what happened in yellowstone in 88 a lot of those areas were burned had not received a fire in over 100 years so there was a lot of fuel waiting to be burned. There was a, lot of, a lot of fuel that was going to burn um now we don't have that situation here uh here in in illinois where you know, we're not in a coniferous type forest situation. Um, But the, you know, the changes that can occur in a forest is one of the things we're gonna be, we show uh, like in the program, if we look at this, forest here that's received periodic fires compared to one adjacent that hasn't. It's a night and day difference. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, the tree density in an area that hasn't burned is so great that there's really nothing growing on the on the floor of the forest because no sunlight makes it that far down.
1: Nothing can tr- go through,
0: nothing yeah, can filter yeah. through? No, none of the sunlight can filter through. And, and that's a situation that, you know, these woodlands have never experienced because they've always had some fire disturbance that have kept them open and all of a sudden the prairie influence is gone, fires are gone, and the forests just do what they do, grow trees. But they're growing a, a trees in a, in a way, um, remember we talked about about uh, ecosystems being the interaction between the plants, the animals, the geology, the terrain, mm-hmm. and they've never we're creating a situation where the plants are living in a way that they've never had to enter, you know, the things that they've interacted with are gone, or they've never interacted in this manner before
1: it's probably in a form it's almost like to, at least to me it sounds like the old story to tell about you know somebody bringing uh, rabbits over to australia exactly. it's like you know yeah. there, there mm-hmm. were no predators for the rabbits and yeah. you know they'd never seen a rabbit they didn't know what to do mm-hmm. so the next thing you know you've got two rabbits now you've got 20 million rabbits yeah, yeah.
0: you know so it's uh, it's uh, it's the same uh, analogy with with the the tree population and and the fire played the predator role um for a long time you mm-hmm. take away the predator and you you, uh, you know, the the other populations get to a point where it's no longer stable. And that's what we're seeing in many of our forest communities. And they're becoming less stable because, um, you know, they've lost a major component, uh, which is the ground cover of, of the trees. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to walk far to see it. if you just go down that trail a few, you, you know, a hundred yards, you'll see where the fires stopped, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> here and and uh so it's kind of and that so that'll be the type of thing we're doing you know in forests in prairies in in wetlands you know and river systems what do you have in mind as far as a wetland site uh wetland site there's a a lot around here we'll we'll probably we're i want to want to get them to a wetland where we've had uh you know a time drawdown so there's a um, are quite a few of those close by. Uh, the Chillicothe Bottoms is a Duck Unlimited property. Mm-hmm. Um, Whiteman Lake is up near Lakin. Um, You know, if we get adventurous, we can go up to Hennepin Hopper, you know, or we can go south to Chautauqua, Amaquan. Sure. You know, there's a lot of different places we can go. We'll try to time that one. Uh, we'll have to see who's got the best drawdown conditions that. that that uh, at the time uh last year in august most in july and august most everything was flooded for
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it was a little rough it, it
0: was pretty pretty odd time so uh, but you will be visiting you know w- probably one of those um uh, wetland communities um for for kind of a creek or uh you know uh, system mm-hmm. um you know the Mackinaw, some of the projects along the Mackinaw River that Parklands Foundation has.
1: Um, Where along the Mackinaw? Uh, well, it, I guess
0: it would be like Madeo, or is it not Madeo? Um, yeah, the Parklands Foundation is directly; it'd be directly east of Mackinac. Um, well, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the village of Mackinaw. Yeah, okay. the village of Mackinaw. Um, and, and they've got some, some property there where they've, uh, you know, done work in, in the uplands, you know, down to the creek. And so you, you get a good cross section of, of, you know, top of the hill down to the creek, what makes that healthy, watershed for that creek mm-hmm. and so the Mackinac River's got got some good ones um there's also some projects along the Sinachwine Creek um that would be up around Henry correct yeah well actually uh, just right north of okay. um and and yeah Crow Creek is up there too but um but there's some projects along there that would be interesting to explore from a, just from an agricultural sense because these are projects that were done in the agricultural landscape some different terraces um, and uh, crop terraces and, and things like that in, in rolling agricultural land so, um, so you know we're gonna kinda give them a broad picture of. from a stewardship standpoint it's not all just uh, it's not all just preserving the natural areas it's learning from those natural areas and incorporating them into some of this yellow on agricultural because we're not going to ever we're not going to get back here right but what what can we learn from these communities to incorporate back into that landscape so how can we incorporate this into a
1: modern template I suppose yeah, as opposed something, to like a pioneer template. yep
0: yeah, something more more uh, sustainable in the long term mm-hmm. um, and uh, so you know that's that's part of the process here too
1: in brief what kind of challenges do each one of these ecosystems face in modern society i I think uh
0: in a a nutshell all of them all of them um suffer from fragmentation and that they're isolated they've become island um you know island habitats Mm -hmm. and um you know whether it's you know, you, th- you think about something the size of Emmaquan. that's probably getting to a point where it's what we call a macro site. You know, it's, it's but there's very few of those. Um, most natural areas that remain are just little postage stamps. And the genetic diversity that's within those islands is bottled, you know. And so that's one of the things we see when species um, when something happens to a species, say an exotic invasive comes in to attack it, um, there's not a lot of resilience and there's not a lot of way for other native species to emigrate in to take the place of that mm-hmm. or to come in and you know combat that. So fragmentation is, is something that's ubiquitous to, to all habitats because they are isolated and, and any avenues of, of diversity, whether it's either genetic diversity or, or species immigration and emigration is pretty much gone. Um, from a genetic diversity, we do know you know, a tiny little hill prairie, that little postage stamp, uh, the Western Cemetery Prairie, this, the species there probably have not had any new genetic makeup for 100 years. So if you, if you think about, um, you, know, you
1: know, cousins have been marrying for a long time in those prairies. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, what happens in humans probably would happen in it, it, it plant species, in too. Yeah. yeah, you know,
0: and and uh, we do know that from, uh, you know, we they've been doing, you know, they're starting to do a lot more genetic test- testing, mm-hmm. um, Bradley University has been involved in looking at the genetics of um, some species that are found, you know, only in isolated hill prairies. Um, you know, downy gentian is a, is a species of plant that you'll find in hill prairies. And so what's the genetic diversity, um, you know, that's left in the wild? And, and you know, how big of a problem is that for that species? And, and, and does this species genetically have long-term viability? Is there enough diversity within... The, you know they can take a leaf off of each plant and how diverse is the genetics well guess what they're all the same yeah yeah <laughs> exactly no the same because they've been they've been breeding amongst themselves you know and they're isolated and the near their nearest neighbors are too far away for a bumblebee to make it from one plant to the there's so know.
1: much inbreeding yeah it's it's, yeah, it's it, like it, some it's isolated like hill community you know in appalachia right. or something yeah. where nobody's been out of it yeah. or in so, brazil
0: or wherever you yeah. want to pick so so you know, that that is, uh, and, and that happens, you know, in, in in all habitats, whether it's, you know, a riverine system, because, mm-hmm. uh, again, you might have a good quality stream system here, but it's the only place in that 300 miles of stream that's healthy, you know, and, and if that's the case, there's no, nothing's going to flow into it that's going to mm-hmm. give it positive influence. Um, so... In many ways, we're kind of at a point in the ecology of Illinois where we have lots of arcs, you know, arcs of diversity throughout the little nature preserves that are left. Mm-hmm. But it's time to lower the gangplanks and let the critters off <laughs> and, and let them start meeting each other again. And and so that's that's been, I think, one of the challenges that ecologists throughout the state, how can we create corridors of uh, uh, that connect areas of diversity. How can we um, ensure that you know a city doesn't become a wall to exchange? But there are ways for genetic exchange to to, to uh, leapfrog through a city, whether it's you know green landscapes, uh, pocket marshes.
1: You know and that's one of the things behind like the uh, CSO solution. I, I was just about ready to mention that a yeah. lot of this sounds like what they're trying to do with, with the CSO in Peoria yeah. the, the green infrastructure has you know
0: more benefits than just solving the CSO solution and and this is one is that they can they can be uh, locations so that our our cities and communities don't just become a desert between oasis it becomes part of the continuum that that
1: species need to move around the state um well that's what i I guess that's what i was going to ask you too is how relevant is this to the average person who's just trying to lead their lives and you know how does this affect them and i suppose Mm -hmm. that that's a really good way right there is the cso yeah that
0: you know that's a tie-in um we're, we ourselves are not um, we're a part of the ecosystem. We're one of the major players in the ecosystem um, but we're not the only player. And so what happens to the other you know you know remember the definition of ecosystem the interaction between the plants and the mm-hmm. animals within it We're one of the animals and what affects one tends to have effects that we might not know about but it has effects for all so um, so good example um, you know the uh, emerald ash borer is, a, is, an, is an example of an exotic invasive that comes into
1: these islands and chews up every ash tree in the island we've got one in the uh, <laughs> front of my house right now so and i understand completely now um If, if we hadn't taken out
0: eighty percent of the forest, there, there are probably going to be some ash trees that survive it that probably have some natural resistance to this critter. They're probably hiding in one of these parks somewhere and you know it's going to be that tree with that genetic makeup that's it, it's going to be responsible for re- repopulating the world with ash trees and if we don't have, you know, the natural avenues for that to happen, you know, we're going to lose 15% of our uh, basal area of trees in our forests Mm -hmm. because that's ashes make up about 15% of the forest community. They make up a large percentage of the urban landscape. So uh, it costs about a thousand dollars to have to cut your ash tree down. (laughs) So again, this is an example of how you know, the locust plague comes into a an isolated area, like a, a city that has urban tree landscape, eats it up, and there's no way there's there's no natural process for uh, for those trees to renew.
1: Have we learned anything from? what happened with the elm trees back in the 60s and the 70s yeah we planted ash trees <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah oh, the ash trees will be around forever <laughs> not so much so so nothing is forever that's that's you know the truth yeah and and i mean we did yeah when the elm trees started dying we we said well we got to find another straight tree and the ash tree was was one we chose and well, now, now the next beastie has come in.
1: This is totally off the subject, but, I mean, I was... You know, I'm a big baseball fan, and I think to myself, well, you know, a lot of these bats are made out of ash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what becomes... I mean, they have their own farms, obviously, a lot of these baseball uh, companies, bat companies, that you would think will try to, you know, do everything they can to preserve those trees, but what if Yeah. What if that goes away? I yeah. don't know.
0: It, 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 I mean, it, it will. I mean, uh, I, th- I think eventually you'll see... Um, and again, this gets back to the human involvement. Um, yeah, somebody is going to be searching for the ash trees that survive and and be the Johnny Ash seed of, <laughs> of the Midwest. <laughs> uh, and but but you're right. I mean, yeah, we're gonna. I, I would bet that you know aluminum is going to be much more prevalent. <laughs> yeah, or maple or something. You know, some other
1: yeah. kind of wood. I suppose it can so. maybe handle. It. Uh, but. What is the, um, the overall goal of this alley class? Mm-hmm. What is it?
0: The, the overall goal is to give people an opportunity to learn the diversity of the state of Illinois, uh, to learn that central Illinois in particular is a hotspot of biodiversity. We're going to visit those areas. And three, how do they become involved? You know. Um the Ali program tends to you know it's for 50 plus right um and so we're kind of you know the baby boom generations get to an age where now they can they can maybe become more so more uh, environmentally active or something um so so at each of the sites we're going to be focusing not only on the sites themselves but what the human involvement on the site is like, you know, the volunteer work days that we have here or that they have, at at uh, through the Parklands Foundation, um, uh, you know, or at, at wetland sites. Um, but not only that, what advocacy is needed because not everybody's going to go out and and cut exotic species, you know, True. invasive species or things like that. But they, you know, they might have have had a career in um you know the financial market and well you know there are foundations like the parklands foundation or you know the the that that their skills would be very important to help them raise money to do more Mm -hmm. and so kind of getting them exposed to the environmental community which is very diverse um, and so a lot of people that that might have a skill set that they use throughout their whole life is a skill set that's still needed in in the environmental community, and now that they might not be doing the 60-hour work week, maybe they can work towards, you know, um, putting their skills to use in the in the private sector mm-hmm. from an environmental standpoint. Um, you know, all of these organizations, whether it's you know like a park district or a a, a foundation or, or or a friends group, a friends of a you know a natural area they need legal advice sometimes they need fundraising advice they need investment advice they
1: need real estate advice a lot of stuff that maybe isn't necessarily covered under the environmental rubric what you don't
0: think of is necessarily an environmental i I don't know anything about the environment that's okay i don't know anything about uh, real estate but guess what there's nine acres over there that would be nice to preserve how do we buy it
1: yeah you you take your skill set my skill set let's put something together yeah so so that's kind of
0: that's that's the idea that we have uh, with doing these these programs with ollie
1: is this the first time you've done this this particular program with um
0: yeah, it's the first time in this particular program with Ollie. Um, we've done others with them. The study group last year was uh, birds of the Illinois River, You know where we went out and, and we did go mm-hmm. to all the wetland sites up and down the Illinois River in, in August to, to look for um, migratory shorebirds. And so this the concept for this class kind of came from, we have a, a private not-for-profit called Peoria Wilds. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, helps with the stewardship work in the park district um, and it's made up uh, one of the people on our board is um, is a is a with the Ollie organization he's a volunteer with them to set up these classes mm-hmm. and we we're saying you know how do we get volunteers out and, and everything says well, you know the volunteers we won are the, the 50 plus you know and we we're talking about people we need on our board let's just invent a, let's just make a class that does that you know that has uh an opportunity for people to get out and kind of get enamored about nature and mm-hmm. and in- introduce to it and and what does it take for humans to be involved in that landscape or in preserving that landscape it's it's pretty multi-dimensional so um so yeah that's kind of how this all Happen, and we'll see if it flies. I don't
1: know. <laughs> it's gonna be a five-day, five-day. Yeah, ago.
0: it's it's a it's five days uh, every Thursday in August. Um, the first one's meeting out here, and then and then we'll be meeting. Um, we'll probably we have a van, and then we'll be meeting at the Noble Center. And like I say, we only have room for like 13 people in the program. Okay. That's as big as our our van is. But the concept I think is much broader than this group because I think. This concept that we're we're doing is what groups like Peoria Wilds, Parklands Foundation, land trusts throughout Illinois are all talking about these are the types of things we need to be doing, you know in the environmental community is not just enlisting the tree huggers, but getting everybody involved. Um, so, so yeah, it's I think it's a, a interdisciplinary approach to conservation that um, does depend on you know the, the 50 plus generation having a, a role to play
1: after retirement. And you would go to a different place every day obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this some do you think that this is some sort of a program that could also be adapted for school children or for college students or for young adults? Or well, I, I think really here i get on a soapbox a little bit but so
0: i have been on a soapbox all day so that's <laughs> nothing new right nothing <laughs> new. but especially with school kids um you know the concept being how often you know and and we see this kids in our local school district don't get an opportunity to get even out to our parks very often um you know because it costs money for them to have a bus driver and guess mm-hmm. what schools have no money sure. and so uh, we, we do get lots, you know, like our environmental facilities, like Forest Park Nature Center, um, you know, uh, the zoo, botanical gardens, things. We get a lot, lot of school kids coming, uh, but it's usually those that can afford to have somebody pay for their buses or their school system can't. Not every school district is in that same boat. So that being the case, I think... And if you look at at the makeup of, of the period Public Schools, um, these kids are getting very little exposure to environment. They are getting a lot of exposure to STEM training, science, technology, engineering, math. Sure. Um, but not everybody is made for that. I mean, I wasn't made for that. <laughs> You're a journalist. <laughs> I'm a an naturalist. So. <laughs> so, um, but it was me going out to parks or going to programs that said, oh, there's a career there. You mean somebody can have a job in, in a nature center? That's mm-hmm. a neat, I, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And what I, what I worry is that kids don't have that opportunity anymore. And, and so I think it's important for kids to be exposed, not just to, oh, the park is a neat place with trails, but the park is a neat place to have a career. And, and I don't think that's happening enough in, in our society. You know, we, we tend to, um, and there's nothing wrong with STEM, but there, there's more out there than just that. And mm-hmm. biology um, and ecology, um, and not, not just that, but environmental interpretation, environmental advocacy, you know, are, are, are things that careers can be made of. Because, you know, those kids get into high school, and they're at at that point um you know if you are if you've grown up on the streets of peoria and you've made it to high school and you're going to make it to college chances are you're going to go into engineering you're going to go into medical you're going to go into law you're going to go into you know maybe social service you know but you haven't had any exposure that says, you know, ecology is, is a career path. You're not gonna go into that. And conversely, what we what we see, you know, in the environmental field are, you know, uh, it's the, the people who kind of go to college from the environmental don't necessarily reflect the the makeup of,
1: of the kids who you know, of the general population. General population. You know, and so um, there's too, we, too much stratified one way and the other way. Yeah, too.
0: yeah. So I, you know, I think I think we need that diversity in the ecology movement in the long run, and that's where getting getting into school age kids and telling them, you know, this is this is an opportunity. This is a career path. And so um, one of our park board members' uh, wife works with with district 150, Gail Johnson, and so she's bringing the summer school out we're going to come out here mm-hmm. and then they're going to go to the noble center too i think on july 12th you've got a and so we're going to have 30 kids that are incoming freshmen that will be incoming freshmen to peoria public schools this year who've come up through district 150 they're going to see parks as a career option um so we're going to talk to them about what what you know kind of what we're doing with with ollie the retiring kind of that the, the but Bef- you know but what the uh, what we do with them is you know this this is a career option you know biology study you know knowing identifying the 400 different species of plants out here sure. there's a need for that or uh, inventorying you know knowing the species of trees that are here there's a need for that uh, that that's you know what a degree in ecology that you can be doing this for a living um, so and then you know also to them about parks and recreation uh, they're going to go to the noble center and learn a little bit more about the parks you know human mm-hmm. resources in the park setting or um, business management in the parks setting or a government
1: setting you know we'll probably open that. up some some avenues of thought yeah. that maybe we're, not there, we're not there exactly i want to add, touch back on the cso thing for mm-hmm. just a moment and what is what do you suppose is the best way that the the city can to plan that out to kind of provide that bridge i guess between mm-hmm. you know this and a rain uh a rain uh, not a forest but what a rain God, i used to cover all the uh to see his own stuff and i now i can't it's think of like what i'm rain trying gardens. to a rain yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, a ring garden yeah you know or a bioswale,
0: bioswale yeah. yeah. we got a we got one right behind mm-hmm. the building here um you know and, and and not not to and you know it wasn't to hint it wasn't to solve the cso problem
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was to take you know that big long building and all the water off that roof uh was channeling down the hill and just causing a lot of erosion so yeah we put in a 600 square foot bioswale over there mm-hmm. and you know is soaking up 75,000 gallons of water off the roofs so <laughs> it's but positive I suppose so it yeah I, I think the challenge we have as as is that you know we, we tend to you know planning is is a tough environment to work under, I mean, urban planning. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's kind of a couple ends of the spectrum. You know, you have urban planners who fly pretty high, you know, and and look at the big picture. Um, But you have the people who have to enforce the regulation that have to look at things like this, you know, very close up. Micro Uh, and macro. Yeah, and and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of people in between to connect the dots or, or to figure out how to, you know, to to make that happen, and and that's our challenge. How do we, um, how do we get to what we know is right, what we know is makes sense, to make that work on the macro, you know, the micro scale. Um, so how is this dot connected to this dot connected to that dot, mm-hmm. so that together they solve, you know, a large landscape issue um if you if you think about like dry run creek in peoria you know it it basically runs through the city it's it's been managed on a micro scale all along the way you know the uh, they 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 stuck it in tube up here they they put it through a sluice over here they ran storm sewers in it at this point they you know did this you know it's and and What's interesting is when you look at that creek system. Um, y- uh, yesterday morning, it was bone dry. There wasn't a stitch of water in it, and by five o'clock, it was over its banks. <laughs> okay, so compare that to a stream, you know, that has similar length, um, similar grade. Um, but happens to be coming through a natural area. You know, yesterday morning, like something like the Mackinac, yesterday morning it was, you know, it had water in it, and at the end of the day it had water in it. It was much more stable, it wasn't as flashy. Mm -hmm. And so we have to somehow find the tricks that make that stream A much healthier system to make Dry Run Creek a much healthier system. If we can, if we can do that, we're going to solve some of the water issues. Mm -hmm. Because um, I always say, you know, our urban planning, we we tend to we tend to treat rainfall, this manna from heaven, as a waste product and get rid of it as fast as we can, and and you know, get it off the landscape where nature that's that's a model that nature has never never dealt with you know because um Illinois usually is pretty stingy with water we get about 32 inches of rain a year and if you were to and and evapotranspiration the amount of water that evaporates Mm -hmm. or uh, gets lost to the atmosphere every year is about 32 inches of rain there's not a drop to spare and and so native ecosystems have been found ways of being very stingy with water. And that's what we have to figure out. How can we in our urban planning be just as stingy? You know, when water falls on that roof, it shouldn't be just channeled off away. It should be coming back into the landscape somehow. And if we can if we can model systems like that and get that as as a, a priority
1: we can, if we can do that, we'd solve the CSO problem. would say, so how, how sound is the city's philosophy regarding what their proposal is for the CSO? I,
0: I think they're trying to figure that out. I think they're trying to in, invent that. I think they've had, you know, um, some good ideas come through. Um, you know, permeable pavement definitely helps. You know, the parking lot over here is permeable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, not every concrete pad around here is, but but uh, this isn't this isn't yeah no. but where it where it does flow um, is not a channelized flow off it, it sheet flows off you know but we can we need to figure out how to incorporate some models um, that helps our landscape be more stingy with water and you know and all we have to do is, is look at our creeks and see how they behave you know are they real flashy or are they starting to have some stability? Is the water getting metered out to them during the dry time, which tells us we're infiltrating water and mm-hmm. it's moving slowly through the, through the soil and back into the creeks to keep them recharged every year um, or, you know, during dry times? Uh, or is the only time they have water in it is when, you know, water hits the roof somewhere and runs into them? So, um, you know, in many ways we're now sounds gross but I think we, we create you know our our urban philosophy has been to create a system that promotes you know ecological dysentery you know blah, get get rid of it you know goes in one end and out the other as fast as you can it's
1: an interesting way to
0: <laughs> <think>. <laughs> and but we've we've got to to find out how how to keep that that body that ecology you know, it's got to have that that water in its system to survive. And, and, you know, and maybe when when this maybe when the storm sewers were designed and developed, I mean, if you think about it, most these storm sewers were put in before there was pavement on streets. You know, That's good before, point. before there was asphalt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we're talking over 100, yeah. 150 years. So, ago. so maybe one time it worked. Because there was enough permeable surface around to, to deal with this, you know, people had cisterns in their backyard. They they collected rainwater off the roof, you know, because they mm-hmm. didn't have the water company giving them water. Um, so in in many ways, when that when that sewer system was developed in those parts of town, given the the density of of the population and the population, you know, then was just as dense as if maybe even denser than it is now. Mm-hmm. So um, but what's changed since then is, you know, we've created ordinances to say, oh, no, your, your roads have to be 32 feet wide. No more of these 12 foot wide roads. You got to be 32 feet wide because you have to be able to, you know, a fire truck has to be able to turn around in it and everything. So we've created a lot of ordinances that got away from that. And, and um,
1: you know,
0: I'm not saying those are wrong, but if, if we're going to do them, then we need to start looking at structure to, to fix them, to fix some of that.
1: Is there anything I'm not asking about regarding the ecosystem project that uh, I should be asking you about? Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um,
0: no, I, th- I think, you know, this is, this is just, you know, I would use this program as just, an, you know, as, as an example of kind of a larger context or, or a larger um, philosophy that, that we see in the environmental community and, and people who are dealing with, you know, natural areas, protecting natural areas and saving natural areas, whether they're public lands or private lands or a combination, um, that's kind of the new model we're working towards. Um, Prairie State Conservation Coalition is a uh, statewide um, organization mm-hmm. uh, of land trusts that, that uh, kind of, you know, look at, okay, What's our priori- priority for the next thirty-five years in the land preservation business? Um, you know, so so I think we're seeing this as is a needed. You know, we can't. The state isn't necessarily going to do it all for us. Um, you know, it, it, the the feds aren't um it's it's going it's it's being done by small groups that have an interest mm-hmm. and so we have to to figure out how do those small groups work together and how do they incorporate other people other skill sets that is not just the tree huggers <laughs> you know how do you how do you incorporate the retired lawyer or the re, or the uh or the lawyer who wants to do pro bono work for an environmental organization or whatever mm-hmm how do we find roles for for everybody
1: so um i I ramble, so i'm sorry no that's all right you know what it's been very interesting very interesting to talk to you mike thanks a lot for your time i appreciate it yeah
0: just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh human remains that are left